Take your Bibles, turn to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. You say, I thought we were going to Titus. We will. Psalm 19. We read these verses as we started the service about how amazing God's Word is. It's perfect. It revives us. It makes us wise. Rejoices our hearts. It endures forever. Right? If you're uh, on page 456, if you're using one of those uh, Bibles in the chair rack. How amazing God's Word is. And then verses 10 and 11 lock in on our response to God's Word. How should we respond? More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Can you imagine what your life would be like and, and what our church would be like if we all actually believed that? Like if we chase knowing God and, and if we desired his word like we desire to see our bank account grow just a little bit more or, or get a promotion at our job or like that's how we're supposed to desire God's word. It's better than the best food. I know that rings a bell for some of you more than the gold thing. It's good food. Sweeter also than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. But then look at this. Moreover, by them, by God's word, is your servant, what's the next word? warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. I don't know what you think about the smoke detectors in your home. Some of you went, oh, I forgot to change the batteries, <laughs> right? Then it makes that really annoying chirping sound. Why does that always happen at like two in the morning, right? Isn't this how smoke detectors work? It decides that now is the time, and that's probably because the last time it happened at two in the morning and you changed your batteries then, and, or then that's when you realize you have no AA batteries, Right? And so you're going to have to like, go to the store or hang in there for the night. I don't know what you think about your smoke detector, but I'm, we have a kitchen area in our downstairs. We have an upstairs. We have a downstairs area. Uh, this Garrett, who was here for the summer with us, was staying there. And, and it's, it's my hope that my smoke detectors really do work. Isn't it yours? Right? Like that if we had kids playing downstairs and they went and messed with the stove in some way and it started smoking, that that thing would just start screaming. But, but how do you feel when, when your smoke detector starts screaming? I, I think I feel three things. Scared, right? First of all, it kind of like scares you into this moment of like, this is not good. Then I feel very sobered, right? Like I'm not like, oh, let me wait till the end of this TV show that I'm watching to go check my smoke detector, right? And then, and then I feel rescued. Like I gotta go do something. Like thank you for the warning. And do you know, God, God has built all these warnings into our lives. I mean, one of the ways that we knew our son Timothy was sick uh, is that he had a fever. And so you're like, he's sitting with you, and all of a sudden you're like, that is not normal. Then you're a few times to check if it's your hand or his forehead, you know, and then you get the thermometer out. We feel pain. Pain is a warning that's helpful to us. There's about a thousand warning signs on the road. And as much as I'm annoyed when the warning sign shows up that I'm about to merge on the highway, I'm really glad they said something so that I wasn't cruising at 70 and then stuck and ran into a bunch of cones, right? Warnings are not always the kind of thing that we're like, woohoo, warnings. <laughs> but we know how important they are. We know how valuable they are. We know how good they are for us. And when we need them, we're glad that they disrupt us. And as we go to Titus this morning, as people who follow Jesus together, there's a warning. And I hope that just like if our smoke detectors went off, that we'll learn, we'll listen, we'll respond, and, and we'll hear the warning that God has for us. So let's pray, and we'll go to Titus and study together. Lord, thank you for your word. We do pray that it would 
guide and direct us into all truth, that it would be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Father, I don't know the condition of each heart or person in the room today. I don't even know what's pulling on them, what pains they have, what joys they're experiencing, although I've heard a few even this morning. But we pray that your word would do all its work that you have planned for it in our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So turn over to Titus 1. That's uh, just shy of page 1,000 on the, in the chair Bibles, 998. We've been studying through this book together, and we looked at, we're going to wrap up chapter 1 today, but the beginning of chapter 1 taught us that healthy churches don't happen on accident. This is actually all, a whole book about what does it look like to be healthy together. There, there are a lot of dysfunctional and unhealthy churches. And to some degree, every church is that way because it has us in it. But if we're going to pursue the way God designed us to be, then it's not going to happen on accident. We're going to care about the things God cares about, like verse 1, faith, the knowledge of the truth, godliness, the hope of eternal life. Those are the things that are going to matter to us, not the color of the carpet, not how this other person looked at me last week, and I don't know if they like me, and do I fit into that clique? Those aren't the things that are going to drive us. Am I very comfortable there? What's going to drive us is we're, we're pursuing Jesus together and helping other people to follow him. That's what that looks like. And so we talked about that being the heartbeat of a healthy church. And really, the, the rest of this chapter starts to just get into the nitty-gritty of dealing with problems. And the church in Crete, the island just south of Greece, was a church that had two big problems. First, there was an absence of godly leaders. And so Paul says to Titus, look in verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders or pastors in every town as I directed you. So there's problem one. Churches need godly leaders. And then God gives us his direction on that. I hope we'll follow that as God builds up leaders here and as there are church plants that happen and as there are new opportunities that we'll say, God, what do you look for in a leader? And that's what Paul was telling Titus. Hey, fix this, address this. And then the second problem is not the absence of godly leaders, but it's actually the presence of bad leaders, problem leaders. Churches have problem people. Now, now I'm hesitant to use that phrase because I know it kind of triggers and people go, well, are there certain people that are good enough and certain people that aren't good enough? Am I the problem? The Bible doesn't steer away from the fact that there's a certain kind of person or a person who's approaching life a certain way that causes trouble. So maybe I could say it this way. Problem people in the church are not people with problems. We all have problems, right? And if I sat down with you, you could go, hey, here's two or three problems that I have right now. Some of them are outside of me. Some of them are inside of me. We all have problems. Problem people are not people with problems. Problem people in the church are people that cause problems. You understand the distinction? So problem people are not people with problems. They're people that cause problems. And you can see right in verse 10 that Titus, the book of Titus is going right that way. God's going to tell us what people who cause problems look like. Verse 10, for there are many. So this is the contrast. Good leaders, bad leaders. For there are many. Notice it doesn't say there are few. There are one or two. It says there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those 
of the circumcision party. And here's what we learn very quickly in verse 10. A healthy church wisely identifies problem people. And they're not just limited to this idea. They're, they're really kind of two big categories of problem people that, that show up in the church. One is people who are teaching something that is wrong. They're influencing people to believe something that's not true. The Bible calls them false teachers. The other is a group that is mostly concerned with people following them. They become divisive. Look at the end of Titus, chapter 3, verse 10. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. I love the idea in church of having your antenna up, right? That you don't just come in here for yourself and for singing the songs or feeling the things or hearing from God's word what you need, but that you actually become aware that, that God has designed this to be a family. He's designed it to be a body. He's designed us to, go, to have our antenna up and go, hey, who's hurting? How's everybody doing? Have you noticed that once you know people well enough, you can start to feel that? You can start to see that? Like someone comes in, you just see that look in their eye, and you're like, oh, it's been a rough week. You have your antenna up. What, what we're being called to do here in Titus is to have our antenna up that not everyone who comes in to a gathering like this or who wants to lead a small group or who wants to tell you about something that they believe is true, not everyone is here with pure intentions and motives. And not everyone is good for the body. What does Titus tell us about these people? First, he says what they're like. Do you see that in verse 10? Who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers. We should beware of people who are never content with their God-given authorities. Have you met people like this? They tend to bounce around a lot because no one can make them happy. Eventually, that pastor wasn't a good pastor. Eventually, that pastor wasn't a good pastor. Eventually, that pastor was Eventually, and then they show up. Like, I, just, I just need to find a good church. That might be true. But also might be that they have trouble with authority. I think some of what's happening in this pandemic that we're dealing with is that it's exposing in our own hearts how we struggle with authority. When I was reflecting the other yesterday when I was in the car, I'm, I'm going to turn 40 this next year. Do you know that in 40 years of being uh, a citizen of the United States, the most oppressive thing I have experienced in 40 years is a mask mandate? Think about that in the context of the world. Think about that in context of history. That's the most oppressive thing I've experienced. And do you know what's happening? We are losing our minds. Well, if this happens, you know what happens next, and you know what happens next, and you know what? No, you don't. You think you know. We struggle with authority, don't we? And, and the warning here is be careful of people who are always unsatisfied and pushing back and, and resenting and disrespectful of their authority. Do you know what Romans 13 tells us? All our authority comes from God. And even when it's hard to follow our authorities, we can follow them because we're following God. Even if those authorities are Roman authorities who are burning Christians at the stake, 
here's a danger. Beware of people who are never content with God-given authority. Their, their heart is rebellious, disrespectful. But look beyond that in verse 10. They're empty talkers. Oh, they talk a lot. They have a lot of ideas and opinions, but very little actually there. They have very little of God's truth in them that's actually valuable talk. But they have a lot of opinions and ideas about everything else. It's empty talk. And lastly, there are people who at their root are dishonest. They're deceivers. As long as it gets their point across and gets people to their side, they're okay to fudge on the truth. They're okay to exaggerate. They're okay to push the boundaries as long as it gets my opinion across and convinces people to my side. It's deceptive. It's dishonest. Beware of people who use dishonesty to promote their own position. It makes me wonder and see some of the challenges in my own heart. Don't you see them in yours? A desire for freedom and liberty that can trump everything else. I can talk a lot, but am I actually sharing with people truth from God's word? Am I actually giving them the things their souls need? Or am I hoping that they'll share my opinion on something? That they'll get to my end? And am I okay with dishonesty, at least to some degree, if it promotes my position? Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Jesus warned us about these people too. Matthew chapter 7. Near the end of his famous teaching on the mountain, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware. There's that warning word, isn't it? Watch out. Beware of false prophets, false teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing. That means they look like everybody else, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. You'll see it by how they live. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. The first indicator that someone is teaching error is actually not the error. The first indicator is their lifestyle. When you start seeing, you know, becoming aware of something that just doesn't add up. My pastor in Indiana used to say, if it doesn't, if it doesn't make sense, something's not right. It doesn't make sense. The life is the indicator, in part, that we need to beware. Go back to Titus. What problem people are like, but what problem people say. Look at verse 10. Look at the end of it. They are deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Now, that doesn't really mean that much to us today. But back in Paul's day, it meant these were Christians with a Jewish background. Or at least they claimed to be Christians. And they were trying to take their Jewish background and force it onto uh, people who weren't from that background who had trusted Christ. So they had like a whole list of extra things you wanted to do if you really wanted to be a good follower of Jesus. And they were things that were extra to what God has said. What do false teachers say? They most of the time say, you need something more. 
You need more works. You need more. There's more that you need to do. There's religious practices and rituals. Here's, the, here, here's what Jesus said, but here's the extra list. Do you know human beings have been doing this for thousands of years? And sadly, we're attracted to it because it gives us something extra we can do that might make God happier with us. It's wrong. It, it, it doesn't make you more godly to do a human list. It didn't make Christians who weren't Jewish better followers of Jesus because they went back to the Old Testament and started obeying all the laws. They want more works. They say that there's more knowledge. There's more that you need to know. There's a fuller gospel that you need to know. There's special knowledge. In the days of Titus, the more works people were called Judaizers, the more knowledge people were called Gnostics. And there was more that you could know. There was more that you just, if you just had this, it would really get you to Jesus. You, you would really be spiritual. And then there were others who believed that you needed more experiences. There was more you needed to experience. Things like the worship of angels. It's not in the Bible, but it's something that religious leaders drummed up. Things like spiritual gifts. There are churches even around our area that believe that if you haven't experienced certain spiritual gifts, you haven't really come to full spirituality. More, more, more. You need something more. And in the back of my mind, I just hear the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians eleven three. 3. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Do you know there is an amazing simplicity in following Jesus? Do you know what you need to do to follow Jesus? Follow Jesus. Do you know what else you need to do to follow Jesus? Nothing. You just need to open his word and walk with Jesus. You just need to wake up in the morning and say, as, as someone who knows Jesus, I've trusted him as my savior. I know he's forgiven me of my sins. And by the way, if you don't know that this morning, we would love to sit down and talk to you about that. We would love to open God's word, not our own ideas, not our church's statement of faith, not, not any, we'd love to take the Bible and just say, look, this is how a person has a relationship with God. That, that, that you know you're a sinner and that God is the holy judge. You will never meet his standard. You will never be good enough. All your works are just like filthy towels before the perfect king of the universe. But if you'll bow the knee to him, if you'll say, I am a sinner, <laughs> I'm hopeless on my own, right? Without Jesus, we should be gospel hopeless church. With Jesus, we can be gospel hope church because Jesus died and he took your place and he says, all you have to do is believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, period. Like that old piano guy who used to do like all the, the noises for all the notes on, anyway, forget it. A lot of you are giving me a blank stare. I can't make the period note. So, so here you are, and, and if you've put your trust in Christ, abandoned your own way, abandoned your works, then Jesus says, just drop your nets and follow me. Just one day at a time, just walk my way. You say, but there's got to be something else. There isn't. And anyone who gets you in a corner and starts telling you that you need to choose a certain educational path, or that Ezekiel bread is better than other bread, 
Or that Dave Ramsey knows the way to financial righteousness? Or that there's a certain view about the end times that you gotta have? Anybody who starts trumpeting to you their own system of ideas on top of Jesus, you ought to listen to this warning and beware where problem people are. Sadly, they're in the church. And there aren't a few, there are many. They're trying to convert others to additional or wrong views. You know, God can change people's lives even if they've never visited Israel toward the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter or been to the Museum of the Bible. He hasn't called us to convert anyone to our additional views on education, the end times, CNN, Dave Ramsey, Ezekiel Bread, Essential Oils, or TikTok. And it is an effort to convert when you say something like, if you don't agree, then defriend me. That's evil pressure for people to agree with your positions. And we need to beware. We have some great resources at Gospel Hope, like Right Now Media and Bible Studies and community groups, but we always need to have our guard up, our antenna up. Not everybody who has a video on Right Now Media is like a thumbs up, A+, you should watch that. There's, a, there's a, every real possibility that at some point in one of our community groups, somebody gets this thing sideways and we have to step in. That could happen. It's actually one of the dangers of community groups and small groups is that they become like their own little church where someone's trying to convert people to their views. We try carefully to select things for our Bible studies, but we actually had something happen last year where we had to make a change. And that's because we're trying to be vigilant. Beware. When I was in youth group, we used to do this very fun overnight activity, which now that I'm, you know, past 30, overnight activities sound like a horrifically bad idea. But we used to do this great overnight activity, and one of the things we would do, and it sounds very simple, but sometimes the most fun things are the simplest things, is we would give every teen, my youth pastor would give every teen a dart gun with a single dart. You know like those $1 dart guns have like the little sticky dart in them? They shoot like four feet, and then they do this. We're not talking like air pump, you know, we're talking like, (laughs) and then we would play like dark gun wars around this big facility that we rented out. It was a blast, except when you got that person right in your sights and then your gun malfunctioned. You're like, oh, bummer. We used to have these dark gun wars and I'll never forget one of the games we played was assassin. And so we were divided into two teams and the goal was just to, to shoot or tag as many people on the other team as you could to get them out of the game. But what would happen is the teams would walk past my youth pastor and he would whisper in every individual's ear, yes or no. So no meant you're not the assassin, just play the game like normal. Yes meant you are the assassin and you're trying to kill your own team. And I'll just tell you the level of paranoia coming out of that little debrief was high. And so everyone, is it you? Is it you? Is it you? You know, you're all practicing like your poker face. Nope. No, no. And then as soon as he said go, you were just like this. Like, don't shoot me. <laughs> we're, get, we're getting the other team, right? Are you getting the other team with me? <laughs> Are you really on my team? There were some friendships that got on the rocks over this. But anyway, we played this game. I don't think God wants us as a church to become paranoid. But I do think there's two verses that really guide us in this. Acts 20, verse 28. Listen to this. Pay careful attention to yourselves. This is, this is Paul's or God's instruction to pastors, pay careful attention, guard yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. 
And then 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So a healthy church wisely identifies problem people, but secondly, a healthy church responds decisively to problem people. Listen to what it says in Titus. They must be silenced. That's pretty clear, isn't it? It's pretty direct, pretty straightforward. You don't need like a big dictionary to try to try to figure out what that's saying. They must be silenced. Why? Since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. So did you see those two ideas? They must be silenced. Rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths, and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. A healthy church responds decisively to problem people. The first response is this. They must be silenced completely. This is the idea of something being bridled or muzzled, like that dog in the neighborhood that barks all night long, right? That thing needs a muzzle, just needs to be silenced one way or the other. That's the idea here. Why? Because they are causing big problems. Look, since they are upsetting whole families, that that word upsetting is not just like they're bothering them or, or my stomach is upset. That's actually the word for overthrowing something. It's the same word that was used when Jesus threw the money changers out of the temple. He made a whip and overthrew. He upset it. Yeah, he did. That's the idea here. So when people start adding things to what the Bible says, they cause turmoil all over the church. First Timothy talks about a situation like this where somebody was teaching that Jesus had already come back and people were just out of sorts. And I'm struck there that it says they are upsetting whole families. Parents, children, grandparents. It has a deep effect. And they're doing this because selfishly they want to gain for themselves. So that's why they teach their error. And so what a healthy church must do is remove their places of influence. What does that mean? That means that at some point here at Gospel Hope, we might have to say, you know what? You can't lead that community group anymore. You can't teach that class anymore. We're going to stop that, and unfortunately, we're going to stop it right now. Because what you're teaching doesn't line up with God's word, and it's destructive. That means that we may have to have conversations based upon who's connected to who. And say, listen, you need to be careful. That person is destructive. And we're not saying that arrogantly. We're saying that because we've heard what they're saying. And it's a problem. You say, have you ever seen that happen? Yep. I think in most cases... Churches are too afraid and too slow to deal with it. You say, but it's hard and people might get hurt. Yeah, people are getting hurt. That's the point. So silence them completely for the good of others. They're just a reflection of their culture. Look at verse 12. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said they're liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. That's what these people are like. And this is true. The second response, they should be confronted sharply. This is not private or subtle, but it includes the idea of a public and even to some degree shameful, direct, and even something that may seem harsh. I think about Jesus when Peter says, don't go to the cross, and what does Jesus say? Jesus doesn't say we should talk about that. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Like, we're going to talk about this, we're talking about it right now. 
rebuke sharply. It's actually an act of love. If you want to write down Revelation 3.19, this is something God does for us. He rebukes us for our good. And I love the glimmer of gospel hope. Do you see this? Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith. There is a chance. So you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) Somebody who, and, and this happens, right? People get all kinds of wrong ideas in their head and maybe they even start promoting them and somebody just needs to step in and say, that's not Bible. And there is a chance that they will actually see that and return to hell. They can be sound in faith. And they'll stop wasting their time, right? Not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and commands of people who turn away from the truth. Do you understand all these extra biblical things? If they become the passion of your life, you're just wasting your time. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't care about your diet. Doesn't mean you shouldn't care about the end times. Doesn't mean you shouldn't care about education. Doesn't mean you shouldn't care about all kinds of things. But if they become the driving thing that you want to convert other people to, then you're devoting yourself to things that actually don't matter. It's actually a waste of time. And he says lastly here that they they face a, a sad but seemingly certain end. To the pure, he says, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. When people get corrupted and stop living by faith, everything becomes impure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. That's pretty serious, isn't it? That's a warning. And not one that we should take lightly. They become completely corrupted. They claim to know God, but then they prove they don't. And they end up completely useless in the church. It's not just that a person like this is off a little. Can I say that again? What what God is saying here in these last two verses is this sort of error corrupts completely. It's not just, well, they have a little soapbox. It actually is deeply destructive to the people they hear and to themselves. So be warned. It's a problem. This is my brother John and his family. Um, As you can tell by his hair, he's much cooler than me. He's a high school English teacher. Uh, I I have three brothers, by the way. I'm the oldest of four. So I was really cheering for another Davis boy, but I guess that's, is that not the case? So, right? Grew up in a family of boys. We got girls coming all over the place, don't we? Oh, man. It's exciting times. My brother John is uh, 15 months younger than I am. We shared a uh, bedroom for all our growing up years, and we were super close. I can actually only remember a couple times that we really fought. It was bad, but it only happened a couple times. And I remember specifically one time, and I think it was probably in our early teens, that my brother, so, so my brother had uh, very sensitive skin. I don't know if any of you deal with something like this, right? If, if like all free and clear is your go-to detergent, it's ours, but my brother had sensitive skin. He had freckles. He never tanned. He always burned. He got blisters all the good stuff. And one time while we were playing outside, my brother John got into poison ivy and he got into it bad. And I remember it came, it like started on his hand, it came all the way up his arm, almost to his elbow. And so the poison ivy, you know, it it got gross and scabby and pussy and all that awful stuff. 
And we shared a bunk bed. I think I usually slept up top. He slept on the bottom. But I remember him waking up in the middle of the night, sweating profusely and just very out of sorts. And so he woke up my parents and he had something going on that you may be familiar with. This is blood poisoning. And the way that you can tell someone has blood poisoning is that what happens is some sort of scab gets infected. And then your blood, it's called sepsis or things like that. There's a few names for it. Your blood gets infected and your body tells you, it sends you a warning. And it does it because you start to see red lines going through your veins and arteries. And the danger is that, that if that infection gets all the way to your heart, it can kill you. And it can happen fairly quickly, like within 24 hours. It can get from this infection all the way into your heart. And so my brother woke up. He woke my parents up. Nobody kind of knew what was going on. I remember we stayed home. They took him to the hospital. And the doctor did what doctors do when they see that stuff. They react decisively. And so they lanced it open. They drained the infection. They got it stopped. They put him on medicine. And they did this all within a matter of minutes. I mean, like when he, sh have you ever showed up at the ER and been and hanging out for a while? It's the worst, isn't it? You're like, the only reason I came to the ER is because it's bad. And you're telling me over there, we'll see you in an hour or two. <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's real bad. And here's my brother. They didn't say hang out over there for an hour or two. They said, we'll get you right back. We'll get you with a doctor. We'll figure this thing out. Why? Because it was dangerous. What Titus is telling us is that when there are false teachers in the church, promoting their own views in addition to what the Bible says is true. It's dangerous. And we need to heed God's warning. We need to have our antenna up. We need to pay attention because this will happen here. Like I, I can guarantee you it'll happen. That's why the warnings are here. We pay attention. And then when it's time to respond, we take action. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that your truth is forever settled in heaven, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Father, we pray that you would draw our hearts to Jesus. Lord, that, that if we see some of these symptoms in our own hearts, we would deal with them early. That, that if we become passionate about things that are extra biblical, they're, they're beyond what you have said, that, that we would not seek on a crusade to promote and convert others, but that we would guard ourselves, we would listen with discernment, with carefulness, with vigilance. Lord, it is our prayer, but it is not something we take for granted that gospel hope will become a healthy church, a church where we're seeing people come to Christ and grow and keep their eyes on Jesus. Would you please hold us fast? Would you help us not to shy away from hard conversations or difficult times because we recognize how important it is to follow you and stay true to your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.